Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. Good morning. Delighted to have folks with us this morning. Encourage you to, you are almost welcome. Encourage you to say hello in the chat as you are coming into our space together. If you want everyone to see your messages, which is nice to share your hellos, please make sure your chat settings are set for everyone. And today is a, this is a special day in our year as a community. So we're delighted to have folks with us, members and visitors alike. If you are visiting with us from afar, we'd love to hear about that. You could put that in the chat as well. Good morning, Shayla. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Jeff. Me, Hall. It's great to have folks with us this morning and later as well. This is a good time. Good morning, Jeff Weinfeld. We are Jeff full this morning. This is also a good time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. And for today's Remembrance Sunday, you might wish to have additional candles and save some to light during the reading of the names that will follow later in the program. Once you're prepared, good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Christine. Good morning, Brian and Leanne. Jeff, <laughs> good morning, Maceo. Again, it's a good, good time to get a candle and your or candles, multiples, if you'd like to light them during the Remembrance Program. Once you're prepared, settle in with a comfy seat and a beverage of choice as we continue to gather this morning. Again, as folks are arriving, we encourage you to say hello in the chat, encourage you to set your chat settings to everyone so you can share your message with the collective. And we will continue to gather this morning. Good morning, Rajesh. It's great to have you here. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, John and Abby. Delightful to have you with us. Uh, good morning, Donna. So great to have people gathering together and also listening in later. Again, I'll just remind you, it's a great time to gather your candle and multiple candles if you'd like to do so during the naming of names later this morning. Gonna get a beverage of choice and find a comfy seat. Enjoy the beautiful artwork that John and Abby have selected for our welcome screen. Hope folks are enjoying. So we are just about ready to begin. So encourage people to settle in and be comfortable as we begin with our opening words this morning. 
Welcome, you who approach this time as a journey toward the horizon, beginning of the next chapter, seeking all of the insights and opportunities the new day offers. Welcome, you who live out your values with passion, who have a drive for transforming the world toward gratitude and healing, who are ignited by purpose. Welcome, you who ride the waves of life with serenity, you who show courage in facing the depths of true emotion, you who create and change and flow with time. Welcome, you who are here to seek the center, you who wish to be grounded in community, you who call our attention to this present moment. Welcome all from every direction with all of your gifts and your limits, with all of the past week and the past year has given you. We find ourselves here on the threshold of a new day, some would say a new year, at a time when the past and the present are stirred together in the cauldron of what we shall become. Today we remember our beloved dead. Today we give thanks to the people and the forces that helped us to reach this moment. Today we gather with the memory and hope of all those who have been, are being, and will be this community as we open up a new path to the future. Let us gather together. We begin our platform with music from Mari Breen Rothman and Susan Alexander. Summertime. 
Good morning again, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Karen Schofield Leica. My pronouns are per and pers, short for person, and I'm the officiant this morning. Visitors from near and far, we especially welcome you. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and you, that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form and that link will be in the chat. If you're visiting from another ethical society or another Unitarian Universalist congregation, you're welcome to extend those greetings in the chat as well. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you do not want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it. Closed captioning is also available and you can turn that on or off as you prefer. Each week we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. Sorry, tiny.cc slash read SOP. Our reader this morning is Jeff Weinfeld, a member of the reopening task force. I'll turn it over to Jeff for a brief announcement, followed by a reading of our statement of purpose. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, everyone. So our announcement today is uh, to invite everyone to please join us at 12 today for our West uh, reopening town hall. Our statement of purpose, the Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where justice and love cross all borders. Thank you, Jeff. And now if you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you, Karen, and thank you, Jeff. Good morning, my name is Lynn Cox. My pronouns are they, them. I'm the interim leader here at the Washington Ethical Society. This is a story written by Judith Vjorst. You can find it at the library with illustrations by Eric Belgvad. Now, the story is written in the first person, and so that's how I will read it. And I want to reassure you that the non-fictional cats in my family that you may have met over Zoom are okay. There are many real life stories that are similar to this fictional one. And so on an emotional level, I believe it's true. This is the 10th good thing about Barney. My cat Barney died last Friday. I was very sad. I cried and I didn't watch television. I cried and I didn't eat my chicken or even the chocolate pudding. I went to bed and I cried. My mother sat down on my bed and she gave me a hug. She said, 
we could have a funeral for Barney in the morning. She said, I should think of 10 good things about Barney so I could tell them at the funeral. I thought and I thought and I thought of good things about Barney. I thought of nine good things and then I fell asleep. In the morning, my mother wrapped Barney in a yellow scarf and my father buried Barney in the ground by a tree in the yard. Annie, my friend from next door, came over with flowers and I told good things about Barney. Barney was brave, I said, and smart and funny and clean. Also cuddly and handsome, and he only once ate a bird. It was sweet, I said, to hear him purr in my ear. And sometimes he slept on my belly and kept it warm. Those are all good things, said my mother, but I just count nine. I said I would try to think of another one later. At the end of the funeral, we sang a song for Barney. We couldn't remember any cat songs, so we sang one about Pussy Willow. And even my father knew the words. And then Annie and I went into the kitchen with mother. She gave us orange aid and butter cookies, and she left a box on the table so we could have seconds. I gave my seconds to Annie. I miss Barney, I said. Our Annie said, Barney was in heaven with lots of cats and angels drinking cream and eating cans of tuna. I said, Barney was in the ground. Heaven, said Annie, heaven, so there. The ground, I told her, the ground, you don't know anything. My father came in from the yard and took a cookie. Big-mouthed Annie said, heaven again. I said, ground. Tell her who's right, I asked father. She doesn't know anything. Maybe Barney's in heaven, my father began. Aha, said Annie and stuck her tongue out at me. And maybe, said my father, Barney isn't. What did I tell you, I said, and I yanked Annie's braid. Father made me let it go. We don't know too much about heaven, he told Annie. We can't be absolutely sure that it's there. But if it is there, said Annie in her absolutely sure voice, it's bound to have room for Barney and tuna and cream. She finished another cookie and went back home. My father told me he had work in the garden. I said I would help, but only a little. I told him I didn't like it that Barney was dead. He said, why should I like it? It's sad, he said. He told me that it might not feel so sad tomorrow. My father had a packet of little brown seeds and he shook some out on his hand. The ground will give them food and a place to live, he said. And soon they'll grow a stem and some leaves and flowers. I squeezed the packet open and I looked down to the bottom. I told him, I don't see leaves and I don't see flowers. Things change in the ground, said my father. In the ground, everything changes. Will Barney change too, I asked him. Oh yes, said my father. He'll change until he's part of the ground in the garden. And then I asked, will he help make flowers and leaves? He will, said my father. He'll help grow the flowers and he'll help grow that tree and some grass. You know, he said, that's a pretty nice job for a cat. My father and I planted all of the seeds in the garden. Mother made sandwiches and we ate them under a tree. After lunch, we worked in the garden some more. At night, I still didn't want to watch any television. And when I turned out the light, mother sat down on my bed. She gave me a hug and I said I had something to tell her. Listen, I said, and I told the good things about Barney. Barney was brave, I said, and smart 
and funny and clean, also cuddly and handsome, and he only once ate a bird. It was sweet, I said, to hear him purr in my ear, and sometimes he slept on my belly and kept it warm. Those are all good things, said my mother, but I still just count nine. Yes, I said, but now I have another. Barney is in the ground and he's helping grow flowers. You know, I said, that's a pretty nice job for a cat. As we move into the centering time of our platform, let's reflect on the gifts we have received from those who are gone and the legacies of love that are with us still. Thanks, Lynn. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of people in Sudan coping with the uncertainty of a government coup, and also world leaders in Glasgow with hope that they will make wise choices to redress the global climate crisis. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. As we continue our moment of mindfulness, I invite you to close your eyes or to soften your gaze. Find a comfortable and stable position, perhaps putting your feet flat on the floor if you are seated in a chair. Hold your posture in a way that is alert yet at ease. Take a nourishing breath. Hmm, savor it and let it out. Let's listen to these words by Alice Anacheka Naisman. In a world so filled with brokenness and sorrow, it would be easy to lose ourselves in never ending grief to be choked by our outrage, to be paralyzed by the enormity of suffering, to feel our hearts squeeze tight with hopelessness. Instead, right now, wherever we are, let us simply breathe as we hold our hearts open. Breathing in as our hearts fill with compassion. Breathing out as we hope for healing in our world and in our lives. Breathing in, opening ourselves to the transforming power of love. 
breathing out as we reach for peace in our world and in our lives. Breathing in as we hold hope in our hearts. Breathing out as we make room for justice in our world and in our lives. May we know our strength. May we be filled with courage. May our love flow from us into this world. Breathing in, we are the meditation. Breathing out, we are the healing. Breathing in, we are the love. Breathing out, we are the peace. Breathing in, we are the hope. Breathing out, we are the justice. May we know our strength. May we be filled with courage. May our love flow from us into this world. May it ever be so. We continue our meditation in silence and the music that follows. Wait. 
Thank you again to Mari and Susan, and thank you to Karen for lovely meditation. Wait, I have something to tell you. This was a familiar phrase from one of the patients I saw in my chaplaincy round more than 20 years ago. My training as a clergy person included about 200 hours of supervised chaplaincy, and this is a requirement for Unitarian Universalist clergy and many other traditions. Most of these positions are in specialized settings like hospitals, nursing homes, and prisons. Mine was at Children's National Hospital on Michigan Avenue Northwest. I won't say much about this patient except that phrase and what it taught me every time I came by his room. We would visit for a few minutes. Sometimes there was a companionable silence and sometimes we would talk. And when I let him know it was time for me to go, he would say, wait, I have something to tell you. Then he would search his mind for one more thing, one more drawing to share, one more detail about a show he was watching, one more thought about something he enjoyed. He taught me curiosity and wonder, and that these things are gateways for connection. Long before I encountered the ethical education core values that say I can learn from everyone, I learned from a young person with something to tell. Wonder is the place where Valerie Core starts in her book, See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love. I'll be drawing from this book for two more weeks, so if you want a preview of platforms to come, check it out. She writes, Wonder is our birthright. It comes easily in childhood. The feeling of watching dust motes dancing in sunlight or climbing a tree to touch the sky or falling asleep thinking about where the universe ends. If we are safe and nurtured enough to develop our capacity to wonder, we start to wonder about the people in our lives too, their thoughts and experiences, their pain and joy, their wants and needs. Wonder 
is the wellspring for love. Core goes on to extend the possibility that wonder can help us feel connected with people we do not yet know, and to remind us of the scientific fact of our relatedness. Wonder opens us up to the truth of our connection with all life and all matter, especially but not exclusively with other human beings. She also warns that wonder is where love begins, but failure to wonder is the beginning of violence. In her own childhood, Cora saw this failure to wonder demonstrated in identity-based bullying and exclusion. As a young adult and undergraduate at the time of 9-11 attacks, she saw how failure to wonder led to a sharp increase in identity-based violence, including against her own Sikh community and against the immigrants and refugees she later represented. Yet the capacity for wonder remained and helped her connect with new friends outside her own community who did not behave with bullying and exclusion, people who met her expressions of curiosity and relatedness with theirs. Wonder offered life-saving connections and a network of support so that people could be together in their grief when they lost someone who their sense of wonder had embraced. A sense of wonder opens us up to, the, to a form of vulnerability perspective taking and empathy that leaves a painful space when our beloved is no longer part of the world that we share. Yet without this sense of wonder, our perspectives are diminished. The senses we have available to us are dulled and there seems little point in research or curiosity or building knowledge about anything. To be fully alive is to risk connection. Yet when we lose someone to death or trauma, Connection also contains the seeds of solace. Core writes, grief is the price of love. Loving someone means that one day there will be grieving. They will leave you or you will leave them. The more you love, the more you grieve. Loving someone also means grieving with them. It means letting their pain and loss bleed into your own heart. When you see that pain coming, you may want to throw up the guardrail, sound the alarm, raise the flag, but you must keep the borders of your heart porous in order to love well. Grieving is an act of surrender. Core writes about the everyday losses, but also about community losses. She writes about the aftermath of violence, one incident after another. And she compares violence to a whole, a rupture in the fabric of life and community. Kaur says the act of naming the violence and grieving loss in community is how the whole turns into a wound that can heal. And when the violence is ongoing, when the hate crimes keep coming and the policy violence is ongoing, the only choice, she says, is to find a way to speak and grieve even when our wounds are open and bleeding. So whether our losses are from direct violence or from hidden forms of violence like health inequities or poverty or random occurrences or undetectable diseases, or even if our losses are of people who died peacefully after a long and full life, grieving may involve telling the story. What did the person value? What, who did they love? What did they dream? This is how we remember that there was a real person with inherent worth and dignity. Their life made a difference. 
And in order for there to be a story, there needs to be at least one listener. Grief requires witness. We need each other. Often grief involves being out of sync with the outside world for a time. It involves sitting together, maybe in silence, maybe with tears, maybe with shouting. The rest of the community surrounds those who mourn, creating a circle that can hold a whole range of responses. And sometimes there are overlapping circles. When my mother was dying, there was a day when she remained at the hospital until we could arrange to bring her home. Close family flocked to her room just to be by her side, even though it wasn't clear she knew we were there. Once hospice was set up at her house, the inner circle of friends came over a few at a time. Her clergy person came over the next day, knowing that there would be more time for quiet conversation after the initial wave of visitors. We had her service on a weeknight so that more of her working friends could come, but she was a nurse, so not all of them could take the evening shift off. The hospital where she had worked for a long time, the same one where I had done my chaplaincy, had a special nurse's memorial a month or two later. The different groups of people whose lives she touched, family, neighborhood, parenting buddies, church, colleagues, were overlapping circles of support. Each had their own conversations and rituals, and yet all of them linked together, cast a wide net that held my immediate family in those shocking first few days. People reminded us to eat and to breathe. We could talk if we needed to and not if we didn't. And the people holding us needed other circles to hold them. And so on in ripples across a pond of interconnectedness. Grief requires witness. When we lose someone we love, part of what hurts is coming to terms with the stories left untold, the songs left unsung, the love left unspoken. Wait, I have something to tell you. At some point when we have the strength to remember the stories and the songs and the love that was shared, we may be moved to find meaning in our grief. Mari reminded me of the continuing work on different aspects of grief begun by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and continued by Kubler-Ross's protege, David Kessler. Finding meaning may be as much a part of the grieving process as denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. In some cases, that meaning may come from creating art out of treasured memories, or from living a counterexample, or from a volunteer project or donation in someone's memory. Sometimes the meaning comes from a renewed mission to make the world better, more just and compassionate, perhaps a world that would have caused less suffering to someone like the person we lost. Valerie Kaur puts it this way, grief does not come in clean stages. It is more like the current of a river sweeping us into new emotional terrain, twisting and turning unexpectedly, in one moment we need to cry and rage, in another we feel nothing at all, and in another we feel a sense of acceptance, until we find ourselves one day sobbing on the steering wheel of a car as a song plays on the radio. Grief has no end, really. There is no fixing it, only bearing it. The journey is often painful, but suppressing grief is what causes the real damage. Depression, loneliness, isolation, addiction, and violence 
when we are brave enough to sit with our pain. It deepens our ability to sit with the pain of others. It shows us how to love them. She continues, some form of grief are impossible to bear alone. In the wake of trauma, when it feels like we're thrown into a hole, we need to be able to tell the story of what happened in order to return to a sense of community. We must be able to say this was wrong and must not happen again. Telling the story is a prerequisite to justice. But for the story to matter, someone we trust must be listening. It is not easy to listen, but it's worth it. Grieving together, bearing the unbearable is an act of transformation. It brings survivors into the healing process, creates new relationships and energizes the demand for justice. We come to know people when we grieve with them through stories and rituals. It is how we build real solidarity, the kind that shows us the world we want to live in and our role in fighting for it. Core suggests that joining together in a fight for justice is one of the avenues that can help us find meaning after loss. And she acknowledges that fight might not initially be our favorite imagery, but the fight isn't really against a person or people so much as it is against a struggle. It's a struggle against the parts of the human mind and heart within all of us that resist wonder and connection. Finding meaning can involve a renewed sense of mission, a path of solidarity forged in the connections shared, grief and loving wonder. Much of this platform has been about grief related to death. And yet we are holding an even larger bowl of grief where these losses are nested. In addition to those lives that have ended, we may be grieving a sense of certainty or a marriage or a job or an understanding of how the world used to work and doesn't work anymore. We may discover resilience in the midst of these other kinds of grief in the same ways, through companionship, storytelling, witness, making meaning and finding mission. I am committed to speak to you out of my scars, not my wounds. It has been many years since I served as a chaplain, many years since my mother's death, many years since my formation as a clergy person and Valerie Kaur's experience as an undergraduate were both shaped by 9-11. I am okay. And I am always finding meaning in the long-term echoes of grief. Each bend around the spiral reminds me of stories, songs and words of connection. I will always remember the patient who taught me that I can learn from everyone, that curiosity and wonder are gateways to connection. I will remember that in the midst of a world that seems to be crumbling, there are those who will bear witness and journey together in the rubble. I will remember that overlapping circles, communities of communities hold each other together in difficult times and that our love in those circles is never wasted. The wonder of this human life, the grief of loss and the continuing fight for a better world can help us find meaning, purpose and belonging. The experience of loss is not just one thing. We move through different ways of coping, ways that may not be linear. We face losses in different parts of our lives and different cultural contexts. Yet wherever there is love, 
we are profoundly affected by the possibility and the memory of loss. Community is one of the most powerful things we have to help us cope with losses of all kinds. And this is why it matters that we gather to name our beloved dead. We now move to that weaving together of music and names, contemplation and memory that marks the heart of Remembrance Day. The chat should be back on now or shortly, and we'll begin with music and singing. And when the music pauses, I will begin to read the names of those who have died. I have a few names to start with, and then I will read from the chat. Let's try to reserve the chat for names during this part of the platform. So as soon as the chat's open, you can type the name of someone who died this year or at any time in the past. Your loved one might be a more than human family member or a role model or a friend. We experience all kinds of losses and we can hold a wide variety in this circle. If you have a candle or a light at home that you can illuminate as you name the person who died, you are welcome to do that. Once it seems that all of the names have been read, I will pause to recognize those lost to suicide and addiction, those losses related to pregnancy and infant death, and those whose names are unspoken but written in our hearts. After these final three, the music for this portion will conclude, and when we move on to the traditional memorial meditation. For now, let us rest in the music that Mari and Susan have provided and prepare by typing the names our beloved dead into the chat. Below me sleepy 
but is hold the names of these beloveds and those who loved them in our minds and hearts. Reverend Dr. Hope Johnson, David Pelkey, Wendy Winters, Sandy Beenan, Nick McIntosh, Daryl Steedman, George and Bertha Schofield, Rita Ferreira, Martha Silva, my mother-in-law, died this month at the age of 95. Wellington and Caroline Zimmerman, Don Zimmerman, Ed Reed, Nelda Joe Elder, my mother Paulette Goodman, Margaret M. Bishop, Mel Burroughs, Martin and Rita Meyer, Martin Valentine, Matthew Wayman, Bernard and Gertrude Rothman, Irv and Pat Sablowski, Helen Marcella Baker, my mother, Olive Cat, Eric Patterson, my parents Julian and Diane Weinfeld, and Nylam's parents Chandakarabikan and Mandagupai Patel. Second Lieutenant Justin Wilkins, Captain Jordan Pearson. Nicholas Nilsus Stewan Sarles, Wayne and Johnny Remember. My mother, Leila Rao and Father Sagar. Frank and Margaret Green. Brian Taylor, Troy Suddeth, Dwayne Bridges. High school classmates who transitioned in the last year. Bala, my dad, Philip Oppenheim, Debbie McNeely, Ana Lucia Naranjo, Klaus Dovaya, Capers Limehouse, Robert Briskin, Walter Elliott Limehouse, Pete Mann, May Limehouse, and Nell Dunkel, Nell Dunkel Huffman. Last night at midnight, a woman I've known for 34 years died from cancer. Lisa Redeker of Rhinebeck, New York, was the wife of one of my best friends, Mark First. She was a mother to Marta, a sister to at least 10 siblings, a therapist, a library activist, and a loving, wise feminist. My parents, Julia and Joseph Giordano, Jean and Don Clark, Bob Hole, my parents, Richard and Helena Absher, Jane Baker, Jimmy Newton, my friend, a music lover, a handyman to those who needed something, a pillar of my community. My friend's son, Nervikar, who found it impossible to stay alive. Lisa Redeker, who died last night at midnight. Mark Slater, Nancy Jackson, Ruby Christine Jackson. Samuel McLeod and Patsy McIntosh, my great, 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 great grandparents who were enslaved on land in the James Island, South Carolina the parents of my great-great-grandmother, Rebecca McLeod Carter, and her siblings, including my great-great-aunt, Mary McLeod Bethune. Allison Gansler, my friend. Alma Rosenson, my mom. Archie London, my dad. Alvin Rosenson, my stepfather. Molly Metzger, my aunt. Isabel Jakes, my ninth-grade English teacher. My daughter, Becky Pardo, and my parents, Charlie and Madge Jacobson. My father, Fred Baker, 
we prepare to close this time of memory, we take a moment to recognize these losses that are more difficult to speak of. We pause to remember with love those lost to suicide and addiction. We pause to create space for grief related to pregnancy loss and infant loss. We pause to honor those who remain unnamed, their memories perhaps too tender to speak. And we hold in love all these names and these lives, spoken and unspoken. And we are grateful to each other for the formation of a community where we can share our losses. May this time together bring us comfort and peace. And thank you again to Mari and Susan. As we turn the wheel and prepare for the next part of our platform, let's close this time of remembering with a memorial meditation. I invite you to call to mind someone you have lost. Your loss may be from this past year or it may be from long ago. They may have been someone you were close to or they may have been someone you didn't know well whose life nevertheless affected yours in a deep way. They may have been someone you loved, and whether you loved them or not, they may have been someone whose relationship with you was complex. Silently name that person to yourself now. If it helps you to stay present in the meditation, you may wish to close your eyes or soften your gaze and bring into your mind's eye, into your heart, the person you have lost. Remember what they looked like. See if you can add their smile or their laugh, that phrase they always said, and bring them into your mind as fully as you can, all of them, the parts that you loved and the parts that were difficult for you. And now that you're holding this person in your mind in all of their fullness, all of their humanity, I want you to focus on one specific trait one value that they held, something that you particularly admired about them. Perhaps it was their compassion or their humor or their perseverance. 
whatever you choose, imagine reaching out to hold that special trait or value. Where would you like that attribute to reside? Would you like to keep it in your pocket like a lucky stone? Would you press it close to your heart? Would you place it behind your ear to whisper to you about your highest resolve? Would you keep it on your shoulder for company? In your mind's eye, cup that special trait or value in your hands and place it wherever you would like to keep it as a reminder to help bring out your best. And if you like, you can physically hold your hand to that place as you commit to this legacy. As we continue with our platform and then we go out from the place and time where each of us find ourselves into the rest of the day and week and lifetime, carry with you that special trait or value that you admired so much in the one you have lost. Allow what was best in them to guide your own life. May we honor our beloved dad by continuing to live their positive values in the world. So be it. This is the time where we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. So I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. Indeed, a beautiful memorial meditation, very moving. Thanks, Lynn, says Rajesh. Peter Bishop thinks that this service worked very well, which is great that we've managed to find ways to be together and do these important things, even though we are physically distant. Jeff Weinfeld says, thank you, Lynn and Wes, always one of my favorite platforms of the year. Judy Ohm says, thank you. This was lovely. Laura Steele loves the part about grief needing a witness. Hadn't heard that before, but makes so much sense. Thank you. Abby Dagan says, I'm sending love to all of you who are feeling their losses deeply today. Mari Breen Rothman says, I reflected, as I reflected on my father's unflagging ability to see the best in every situation and person, I cupped my hand and put it on my shoulder and unexpectedly felt hugged in a way that brought tears to my eyes. Deep thank yous to Mari and to Susan for the beautiful music selection. Julie Drizzen says, thanks to all involved in creating such a meaningful experience today. And notes a coincidence. Just this week, I took a book out of my little free library, See No Stranger, a memorial and manifesto to revolutionary love by Valerie Kaur, the woman, woman Lynn quoted in the platform. I can't wait to read it now. Indeed. Sonia says, platform is not usually emotional for me when I'm acting as tech host. Connecting too much with the platform keeps me from doing my job, but I just couldn't retain that separation today, especially as I thought of my friend, Eric, who we lost to COVID this year. 
Mark Mayer shares, this is one of the best presentations of this platform. Thank you so much, Lynn, and those who prepared for today. Adia Hewitt says, I think of my great-grandmother who passed in 2015 at the age of 95. When things are difficult, I hear her laugh, and it gives me courage. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that memory, Hadia. Briskin Limehouses say, part of remembering my mother is remembering her in my daughter Lily's name. Lily Rose's middle name is the same as my mother Capers. There's a link in the chat if you'd like to learn more about that beloved person. And people. And Baker says, thank you for a moment to remember and cry for the beautiful music. This past year has been hard because community was not much available, especially in person, to share my mother's loss. And we hold you in our hearts. And we breathe each from our own place. Rajesh says, I wear my grandfather's watch every day and it seems like he holds my hand through life. That's beautiful, Rajesh. Joe London says, beautiful platform, meditations and music. I will keep my Aunt Molly's honesty behind my ear. And Maria adds that she really loves Rajesh's thoughts and she wears her father's gloves all winter and it warms her. <sighs> Indeed, the ways that our beloveds can be with us. Trang notes, today was a beautiful tribute for those who we have lost and for those who are still living and we hold dear. Indeed, we are here. We are these circles holding those who mourn and grieve. Junium says, I have funny sayings that run through my head every day from my father's repertoire. It's good to have their, their cherished mementos, their laughter, their sayings, their wisdom, their example. And Mari Brin says, don't get me started on the dad jokes. <laughs> Where would we be without them? So Jacob says, thank you, Lynn. This was an exceptionally powerful remembrance platform. My house is filled with pictures of Becca and her artwork. I always hold her in my heart. J. 
Julie Drizen notes, the only real blessing of my mother's death is that she died just before Donald Trump got elected. She was a big fan of Hillary Clinton and didn't have to suffer the worst presidency in our history. Well, we all have our perspectives. We hoped if our loved ones are spared grief that they would rather not live through. And we support each other through all the grief that we have. Jess says, the loss of a child is grievous one, Sue, and I am with you in your grief. Maury says, hugs for Becca. Peter Bishop notes, as I think about the truth of life and death, I can feel my mother, father, and grandfather willing within my own heart. It is what remains after their passing. Living within his own heart. It is indeed what remains after their passing. And our memories of them and those special attributes that we hold especially dear keep all of our beloveds alive, living on into the future as we make them manifest in our own lives. Let us take another nourishing breath together. Feeling that love and that grief and our being together in both. And just as we share our perspectives and community, so too do we share our material gifts. Before I tell you about today's invitation to generosity, I'd like to thank those who have already donated to the Leader Search Fund. As of today, we have raised over $9,000 to support the work of the Leader Search Committee. This is well beyond our initial goal of $7,000. The generosity of members means the search committee will be able to invite the best applicants to come to DC for an interview from wherever those applicants may be, and that we can welcome the final candidate with hospitality and celebration when we are able to meet them in the late spring. If the search committee ends up not needing everything that is collected in this fundraiser, the money will be returned to the operating budget in June and could potentially be used for moving expenses for the new senior leader. The Leader Search fundraiser will remain open for two more weeks. Thank you to those West members who have shared their gifts to help West build for the future. And we are also invited to be generous in the present. Here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion and we appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to Unitarian Universalists for Social Justice. The mission of UUSJ is to advance equitable national policies and actions aligned with UU values through engagement, education, and advocacy. 
Some of those core issues that UUSA, UUSJ works on include voting rights and democracy, environmental action, immigration just, excuse me, immigration justice, and economic equality. Local societies that are members of the UUA can be institutional members of UUSJ, and people can be individual members of USS, UUSJ as well. <clears throat> Gifts to the USSJ support programs such as the Right Here, Right Now letter writing campaign, that's W-R-I-T-E, Right Here, Right Now letter writing campaign to Congress. Citizen advocacy training programs such as the Storytelling for Advocacy Project and public witness activities for social, economic, immigration, and environmental justice. On the slide to come, you'll see the number to give by text for today's collection, 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. We will now receive your gifts and the gift of music.
we could sit simply in that room once again. $10,000 at the drop of a hat. I'd give it all gladly if our lives could be like that. While riding on a train going west, I fell asleep for to take my rest. I dreamed a dream that made me sad concerning myself and the first few friends I had. In our community, we remember losses from this year and from throughout our lives. Members were invited to submit photos of loved ones for Remembrance Sunday. Let us listen and watch and remember. Hmm. 
Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. Musicians, Marbreen Rothman and Susan Alexander, to Zach Rothman, Jeremy Potterfield and Bruno Falcon for helping them with their video production and interim music coordinator, Leah Morris. Thank you to membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, slide artists, John and Abby Deacon and tech host, Sonia Coopers. Thank you to Robin Kravitz for communication support. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. As always, this week has a variety of opportunities for West members and friends to connect virtually around shared interests and in support meetings and discussion groups. And we hope you'll join us again next Sunday, November 7th, when interim leader Lynn Cox will continue with part two of a three-part series on See No Stranger. Next week's platform is Tend the Wound. And a few things to look forward to in the days ahead. We have a number of things happening just in the next few days, and I'm going to share with you a fair amount of detail so everyone is aware and can jump right in to participate. Members received an email earlier this week about the revised reopening plan, and there is a town hall meeting today at noon. There will be no coffee hour today to make room for that meeting. The reopening task force will review the plan and provide clarification so that we can all move into this next phase together. Briefly, the plan includes hybrid platform beginning on December 5th, when we will have both Zoom participants and limited in-person attendance in the main hall. Small and medium committees, teams, and affinity groups can begin making reservations to use the West Building for their meetings as of now, provided that participants stay masked and observe other safety precautions. As you might guess, we're very excited and grateful to the members who joined the tech team and the greeters and ushers in order to make this possible. You can find out more about all the details at the meeting today at noon. Families with children of all ages are invited to the Halloween hike today at 2 p.m. The hike will be led by scouts from BSA Troop 1123, the inclusive and welcoming troop chartered here at WES. The difficulty level of the hike will be age appropriate and all are welcome to hike in costume. Meet on the back patio at WES at 2 p.m. And if you need more information, contact Sonia Coopers by emailing scoutmaster1123, that's all one word, scoutmaster1123 at gmail.com. Looking ahead, mark your calendars for S'mores and More, a social event for West members that'll be at the home of Genevieve McDowell-Owen on Saturday, November 6th at 5 p.m. See the sign-up link in this past Thursday's news and notes email. And because this event is at a member's home, there is a requirement that all those who are eligible for vaccination have done so. The children younger than 12 are also welcome. Next Sunday, November 7th, is the next in-person meeting for the pre-K through second grade Sunday Ethical Education for Kids, or SEEK class, and the next meeting for the Neighboring Faiths class for sixth through eighth grade. Both of these SEEK classes will be held during platform. Contact SEEK coordinator Dara Miles if there's a kid in your family who would like to attend SEEK at WES. Her email is ndaram, that's N-D-A-R-A-M, at ethicalsociety.org to learn more. 
November 7th will also be the first meeting of the Our Whole Lives or OWL class for seventh and eighth graders. That will be after platform time. This is a combined effort of Wes and the UUs in Silver Spring, and we're very excited to be able to offer this class. Please contact Indara Miles to get the SEEK registration link and the link to RSVP for the first class. It was a lot of detail, and you can find those details for these and all other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. We are nearing the end of platform, and whether you've been with us live on Zoom or later on the recording, thank you for being here with us. Now, let's enjoy a closing song from today's musicians, Mari and Susan.
Mm -hmm. Thank you again to Mari and to Susan. Indeed, fingers dancing on the keys there. I now invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, cultivating relationships with each other, our own conscience, and our neighbors in our quest for a better world. Have a great week, everyone. If you are new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. That's M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org or tiny-cc slash WestConnects in the chat. That part um, of this slide is correct. Ignore the coffee hour portion link. There will not be actual coffee hour this morning, um, this afternoon almost, um, as we prepare for our town hall meeting that begins at noon. So you have a brief break, um, grab snack, drink, bio break, take self-care, um, and please join us back at noon. The link is... Um, in the email that you received, but also tiny-cc slash West membership meeting can be used to reach it. Have a great week, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. And remember that clocks fall back. Um, so you gain some extra sleep, but that means you can all be on time for platform next Sunday. And yes, the link I will add to the chat for the Let's see if I can get that in there for you. Yes, there is the link into the chat, tiny.cc slash West membership meeting. That will also take you to the platform, to the, um, the Zoom room specifically for our town hall. Look forward to seeing everyone there in, in a little, uh, let's see, about seven minutes. There's another Zoom, direct Zoom link from Robin. Thank you so much. And we'll see everybody over in the Zoom room. So we're going to close this out in just a moment.